Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hmm? Pardon, my lord, my lady. A rider in the night. There was a rider in the night. Hey everybody, it's Sir Duncan, Lord Sterling here, and this is the first installment of what we're calling Rider in the Night bonus episodes. And this one is featuring Sir Patrick, who sent us a nice long episode for you guys to enjoy. So, without any further ado, here's Sir Patrick with a little intro about how he found our show, and then followed by a bunch of cool stuff. And just so you guys know, there is quite a bit of book spoilery type stuff in here. Nothing too major, but um, there is book material um, that he covers. Stuff from the world book. He hasn't read all the books himself, but better to just give you a heads up. So this is your spoiler warning. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So, without any further ado, it's Sir Patrick of Hindsight. Enjoy, guys. Game of Microphones. Possibly the only Game of Thrones podcast that didn't whinge about Beyond the Wall. I listened to so many different Game of Thrones podcasts just trying to find the ones that were going to, you know be my buddy and talk about how cool the episode was. That's what you listen to podcasts for. It's like having a, a vicarious friend, you know? It's like having a, a one-sided conversation where they can't hear you responding. You know, an echo chamber, if you will. But even if you won't... I Okay, so I listen to so many different Game of Thrones podcasts just the Beyond the Wall episode. Just trying to find someone else that got it. I'll tell you the first one that I listened to, I won't name names, pretty good pretty good podcast, but then it was really not very good for multiple reasons for Beyond the Wall. The, the co-host couldn't make it for that episode, so it was just one guy just whinging about how much it sucked. And then the co-host came back and they talked about it together on the next episode and the other guy just agreed with everything he said 
And now then they they one of the one of the big complaints that I've heard in just about every podcast except for Game of Microphones was about the Night King's chains. How did he get those chains? They can't make things. The only metal beyond the wall is stuff that was pillaged by wildlings or dropped from dead crows. But how did the Night King get his chains? Well, this particular podcast, they actually looked it up to see, and they found the answer, and they begrudgingly were like, all right, yeah, whatever. But they still didn't appreciate it, and it kind of started to piss me off, especially at listening to every single podcast and keeping hearing, where did he get those chains? This is lazy writing. Oh, man, this show has really gone down. Oh, man, nobody broke our hearts by dying there was no big revelation how did Gendry run that fast how did the dragons fly that fast blah 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 and uh, you know you I'm sure everybody's heard all the complaints but okay he got the chains from hard home so listening to all these different podcasts with all these different complaints about where did the Night King get the chains, and how did John survive, and oh, Benjamin ex machina, uh, dragon ex machina, really started to get my blood boiling, and they woke the dragon. But it caused me to do a little research on Hardhome. And I kept listening to more and more podcasts on the same episode, season six, episode six, Beyond the Wall, and I just got angrier and angrier, which is not something you should be feeling while driving. And, you know, not list, not your favorite thing in the world isn't supposed to bring anger. Listening to podcasts about my favorite show shouldn't get my blood boiling that much. And I'm just driving around yelling, Hard home! He was at hard home! Ah, hard home! He was at hard home! And let me tell you, if I had listened to Game of Microphones as my first Game of Thrones podcast, I might not have gotten this deep into it because this really started this chain reaction that led me down a deep, deep rabbit hole and led me to some fascinating revelations, okay? So, buckle in and, and I'll take you for a spin in my green Lamborghini as we discuss why the Night King had those fucking chains. Let me tell you something, boy. All right, so if you watch that episode, you're gonna see that when they're dragging the dragon out of that water, the only one with accurate complaints possibly was Neil deGrasse Tyson because those chains should have been completely straight in the air because of the tension. Whatever, I don't care. Neither does Neil deGrasse Tyson. He just likes to talk about science, I'm sure. But, okay, so, the the chains weren't just brought over from Hardhome. He actually was at Hardhome. How do I know this? Because the dock is right there. It's off to the side, 
just far enough away so that our heroes wouldn't have noticed it during the adventure. I have watched this. I have freeze-framed. I have rewound and paused and taken screenshots, and I have studied this. The, the dock is way over to the side, but and you can only see it briefly for a second from the overhead view, but then you see it just right in your face, right in your face as you see that side view profile of Viserion's face being dragged out of the water. You can see it's right there in the foreground. It's blurry because the focus is on Viserion and it's like they're kind of fucking with you. They're sort of playing a game where it's right there in front of your face and you may not have noticed it. And they're fucking with you. They're playing with you. Okay? Why is this really significant to me? Them being at hard home during this episode has major, major implications. And I'm going to get into that. So hold tight. Why am I still obsessed with it? Like almost a year after it aired. Has it been almost a year yet? I don't even know. It aired in the summer. So like, yeah, over half a year after it aired. I'm still obsessed with it. And let me tell you why, okay? Because the doc was there. He's at Hard Home. He didn't bring the chains from Hard Home. They are actually at Hard Home, okay? Episode two of season seven, John sends Tormund and the Wildlings over to Eastwatch because that's closest to the place where John last saw the Night King, Hard Home. It's directly south of it. When you see the end of Beyond the Wall, John comes back on his little horse. He's coming directly from the north, like just straight line. You can see it, okay? You watch the opening intro, and okay, they never show you on the map, the, the intro map. They never show you any of the locations that are beyond the wall. They don't show Fist of the First Men, Hard Home, Craster's Keep, or anything like that. The Haunted Woods. They don't show you. I guess because those aren't kingdoms, or because we're seeing through the perspective of the Lord of Light and he can't see into the Great Other's domain, or just to keep it mysterious, or, there, or because there aren't any civilized you know, towns north of the wall. Thing is, the closest thing, the history of Hardhome tells us that it was on its way to becoming the closest thing resembling a town. It was, you know, there was a, there was a, a fishing and fur trapping in the Bay of Seals, possibly uh, slavers coming over from Essos or Skagos and trading there. And there was a barge that was pulled by a giant metal chain that would go out into the bay. So it's located on Storold's Point, which is the little oven mitt looking thing, or uh, Michigan, that's right, right above Eastwatch by the sea. And uh, it was on its way to becoming a town. Buildings made mostly of wood with some metal. And uh, 600 years before Aegon's Landing, it was destroyed by flames that rose so high and so hot that the watchers on the wall thought the sun was rising to the north. Crazy, right? So you watch the opening intro of Beyond the Wall. As soon as the opening credits are over, 
and it doesn't show you anything beyond the wall, even though it's titled Beyond the Wall, which, by the way, was not its original title. They changed it at the last second. I don't know why. Maybe to just point out the significance of the fact that it's Beyond the Wall, and you don't see anything Beyond the Wall in the opening credits, but then it shows you, first scene, very first thing it shows you is the painted table at Dragonstone, and it sort of traces the path that John and company must have taken from Dragonstone. The camera goes from Dragonstone, leads you up right up to beyond the wall and up to up through Hardhome, possibly a little bit beyond. But if you look at the painted table, the very last spot that it stops is still below sea level. But anyway, it basically takes you up beyond the wall to Storold's Point Hardhome. That's, that's the logical place where John and company would go since he had just said, well, the last place we saw the Night King was uh, up there. He hasn't talked to Bran to, you know, hear anything else, but you know, the mountain is going to the mountain. Um, I meant to say the Hound is going to the mountain with Beric and Thoros. Yeah. Maybe the mountain is located a little bit beyond the, the Storald's Point or something because the camera does pan a little bit past Hardhome and into this rocky, cratery sort of mountainous area that's below sea level. That might be where that actual, the mountain, like an arrowhead was. I forgot to mention while recording that, that um, the area on the painted table looks a lot like the uh, mountainous landscape that Snowshin 7 is walking through throughout most of the episode. Anyway, let me just say, realizing that it took place at Hardhome, because they did run, they maybe found the mountain and saw it, but then they got chased back to Hardhome. They didn't know they were at Hardhome. From their perspective, they didn't see the dock, and is a different section of Hardhome than they were at in the episode entitled Hardhome, okay? If you watch that episode, they have the same dock there, but it's rope and not chain. And if you look at a map of Hardhome, there's an ocean inlet that is in a different section from where the wildlings were camped out. Okay, there, there's, a, there's an outcropping of jetties and rocks that sort of bisects the area. And out beyond that, that wooden wall that the, the zombies broke through where most of the other dudes were camped out. It, it's only going back and listening to this as I edit it that I notice the double entendre of the title Beyond the Wall. Pretty cool. That part would have an ocean inlet within it. Now, the, the, the houses they're staying in must be the remnants of when the place was destroyed before. What do you think destroyed it, by the way? Flames that rose so high and so hot, that sounds a lot like what happened at the Doom of Valyria. Okay, where the flames that rose so high and so hot that dragons were burned in the sky. And we know that Valyria was destroyed by a volcano, or at least that it was on the site of an active volcano. And yeah, what, what else do you think did it? So without, letting, without getting my train of thought too derailed here, stick to the point, stick it with the pointy end, they were at hard home. 
why is this significant to me so much? Okay, here's another complaint. How did John survive? He fell into water. Why does nobody ever die when they fall into water? How come he didn't drown? Shouldn't he have frozen to death? Well, D&D have said, um, well, there was a dragon in that water, so it heated it up. Okay, maybe. But also, um, volcanic tubes, like the type you find in Iceland, will heat it up. Also, um, maybe he didn't survive. Maybe he was resurrected. And even if you don't believe that he was, you know, that it was the same gasp that he let out as before when he was resurrected prior season, but it was hidden in plain sight by having him coming out of water. That's my opinion. You don't have to buy it into it, but you got to admit there was a rebirth of sorts going on, even if it was just symbolic, because he comes out of that gaping hole all wet and shivering and confused and scared and unable to move and he's gone through this transformation from like what Beric said to him and what Jorah said and uh, Tormund all these little pieces of advice that have sort of given him this renewed perspective on who he is and what he stands for and he's he's come back he's new he's changed now they and they say that the the wolf's eye opening on the the hilt of Longclaw was unintentional maybe it was maybe it wasn't we can never really trust what they tell us can we no but you know the whoever edited that okay even if the director doesn't think it's intentional whoever edited the scene thought that was the best shot to use okay i'm sure they did multiple takes and don't let me forget to point out the parallel between the hilt of the wolf the wolf's head hilt of the sword lying on its back facing upwards like John was in that scene and then the white wolf opening its eyes like Ghost did during that scene. And let me tell you something else. It, it, it wasn't easy for them to film in Iceland. There's varying weather conditions. They had to switch from horses to Icelandic ponies as one of the Raven's callers pointed out. And the you know, if you even watch the scene that we saw recently where um, J.R. Mormont, you know, takes control and acts like a boss and tells the one asshole that he's responsible for Sam's life. In that scene, we see the, the lake behind them go from frozen with a white sky to clear blue with a blue sky. Because they, they and that's, you know, that's inconsistent. Uh, the, but uh, it works for me and it should work for you because it's even... It works on a symbolic level of things got cheerier when J.R. took over like a boss. Anyhow, but what I'm, what my uh, rambling is sort of getting at is that what this particular rant that I just did was getting at is that they went through the trouble of filming in Iceland for a reason, and I believe that reason was to have that volcanic snow-covered background like only Iceland could. Volcano. Volcano destroyed it. It was kissed by fire. Lord of Light is powerful in that spot. It's a holy spot. It's maybe the, the theater or the battlefield, the, the arena for this grand battle between Lord of Light and Great Other. That's speculation. What you cannot deny, though, is that John was reborn amidst salt and smoke under a bleeding star. Bleeding star, you say? 
what the fuck? Where was there a bleeding star? Well, guess what? Valyrian, High Valyrian, star, dragon, same thing. The High Valyrian word for dragon is the same as the word for star and also, I believe, moon, possibly sword. Uh, Duncan, correct me if I'm wrong. I was unaware of this, so just uh, color my mind blown. Guess what else? He woke dragons from stone. Yes, he went to Dragonstone, talked to the Dragon Queen, went under their stone mountain, and showed her in the dragon glass the pictures of the others, made her slightly more aware of it, then sent the raven and really woke her up. If you watch in the scene where Tyrion's begging her not to go, she's coming out. The first thing you're seeing is dragons waking up and shaking off the sleep from their eyes. And he woke her up. She had to see it to know. Now she knows. So she's awake. She's woken. She's she's uh, woke as fuck to the what's really going on and what's really important now. Damn, and I thought my mind was blown a second ago. Boom. Prince, that was promised. Dragon has three heads. Why does nobody die when they fall in the water? What about Jamie? Two episodes earlier. Just surviving, falling into the Mariana Trench? Well, guess what? Blackwater rush, saltwater. Saltwater motherfuckers. Let me point out at this point that... I was recently re-listening to Duncan's Still Smug book review on that episode, and he mentions how in the book it is mentioned how people wearing armor don't fare so well in water, and he wonders if the showrunners are aware of this. And let me tell you that if you watch the history and lore of Westeros videos published by HBO. You can find them on YouTube. The one by uh, Brendan Rivers, the Blackfish, talking about River Run, where he actually had his little confrontation with Jamie. Jamie even stops and stares reflectively into the moat, which is connected to a river. Yeah, anyway, in the, uh, the history and lore video, the Blackfish definitely mentions how knights, most knights can't swim, and even if they can, they still sink to the bottom because they're wearing armor. And I believe there's another one uh, by Euron talking about how the Greyjoys, I mean to say the Ironborn, wear armor and they're just not afraid of drowning. But yeah, the showrunners are definitely aware that uh, falling into water wearing armor is a death sentence. Under a bleeding star or dragon, same difference, definitely right under fucking bleeding Drogon. And did he wake dragons from stone? Let's see. Yeah. Why the fuck was she there in the first place? He woke the dragon. He woke the fucking dragon from dragon stone. So there you go. Stop your damn whinging. You happy? Any other complaints about people surviving falling into water? Hmm, Arya getting stabbed in the gut multiple times in Bravos. What's in the air all around because of the bustling city? Smoke. Was it a bay? Yeah, it was a bay. Okay, now, if you want to tell me that, well, I watched the behind the scenes of Beyond the Wall, and they actually called it a lake. They're telling you that in, their, in the character's perspective. From the character's perspective, they thought they were in a lake, too. 
okay? And if you don't buy into that, watch the previous episode and watch those directors' commentary where they talk about Gendry and John meeting for the first time and talking about how they have so much in common even though they've never met. They're both bastards. They know that John is not a bastard, but they're still saying it as though he is because from his perspective, that's what's going on. And also, they, they'll mislead you. They'll, they'll, they'll just lie to your face. Don't trust anything that D&D say. At all. Now, everybody's complaining about all these different problems, and D&D are just laughing at them. I swear, they must just be reading these things and being like, oh, man, oh, these guys, man, wait till they figure it out. But nobody's figured it out, except for me, apparently. And this is why I have to get it out there. Prince... That was promised, motherfuckers! All right, and also, let me tell you something else. Tell you about a little man named Cyrus Reed. No, 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 I'll start by talking about uh, a guy named William Haley, Halley? Guy that uh, discovered the famous comet. Now, he was a scientist, and he wanted to explain why the why the, um, the magnetic currents of the Earth were inconsistent, why they were constantly changing. And his rational explanation, based on the science of the time, was that there must be concentric planets within the planet spinning in different directions, and that would cause the shifting of the magnetic fields. And he believed that each, that there were just different layers of this big cake that were all spinning in different directions and each one would obviously be populated because God doesn't waste space like that. Now, William Halley died still believing this and he was really into this. He his the final portrait of, of him like later in life showed him holding his map. Uh, it, he drew a, a diagram of the concentric spheres as, as he conceived it. It was a very simple diagram. Looks a lot like certain concentric circles drawn on the walls of Dragonstone. Okay? Now, fast forward to a man named Cyrus Reed. I don't believe his name was Cyrus, or he, he added an extra name, Cyrus Reed Teed. He added one of those extra names after he electrocuted himself in an experiment and came back believing that he was the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. But he also started a cult that was building on the findings of William Halley and this other dude named Koresh who came years and hundreds of years earlier. But he was basically saying, yeah, it's different concentric layers, but the thing is that we live on in the center and the stars and planets are in the center of the sky. Now, does that sound familiar? Because to me, it sounds a lot like what the intro credit opening map looks like. Uh, you know, there's it's still abstract because, you know, obviously there aren't giant names of places carved into the ground and things don't just pop up like a, a really crazy steampunk board game or something. But still, you see the sun is in the center of the sky and it's surrounded by these bands and different astrolabe components. But Cyrus Reed Teed was saying basically the same thing 
that we live within the center and the stars and everything are all just in the center of the sky and we live within it's called concave hollow earth theory look it up it's fascinating actually i never gave a shit about stuff like this until i connected it to game of thrones i never wanted to like learn about hollow earth theory or the lizard people or stuff stuff like that until i realized that uh yeah okay the um the reptilians that come from underground uh why do you think valyria was built on a volcano and why did they have uh, purple eyes it explains a lot of this stuff in the world of ice and fire, like how maesters will point out that, uh, you know, species that grow up in isolation uh, often have dramatically different characteristics from other members of that species, and that could be an explanation for the purple eyes. Yeah, no, this, is, this stuff is all, you know, this stuff is all wackadoo, all right? It's all kind of crazy bunk science, but this is the stuff that George R. R. Martin grew up reading about. And in a documentary I saw with him, he talks about, like, growing up and then the during the moon landing and how it was exciting and, you know, it was like science fiction come true. But then, you know, oftentimes the, the real science just isn't as fascinating as the science fiction. But then he goes right on to talk about how the Nazis were something else. That if you, if for some reason there was somebody who had never heard of the Nazis and you were explaining it them to that person, that that person would think you were full of shit. And like, oh, come on. Really? And they, and they were all black with red and they had like skulls and eagles on their shoulders and stuff like that. There's no way that's real. And they were, oh, they were into the occult. Oh yeah, the Nazis were hella into the occult. The hollow earth theory, yeah, Hitler was way into that, and the whole Aryan race thing, hmm, hmm, hmm. So, I, there, if you look up hollow earth theory and all these lizard people, reptilian theories, they're all, there's a big jumble of them, and all the different people believe different things, and it's part of why I'd never really cared to really get into it, since it was always bunk anyway, and I knew there was no truth to it, but thing is that this is George's world. He writes it and he makes science, not science because it's fantasy, but he makes this fantastical world where reality is as crazy and interesting as it should be. And he put, you know, his favorite bad guys, the Nazis, right in there and made it morally convoluted so that you're actually rooting for a Targaryen, you know, these uber blonde people who have the blood of the dragon, the blood of old Valyria, you know, they trace the lineage back to ancient Rome, or I mean Valyria, same difference. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. But beyond that, they probably came from the hollow earth. Now, this stuff gets mad crazy because, okay, there's the, the thing that they say in Karth where uh, the there were two moons and one of them broke open and dragons came out and filled the land. Well, there is a lot of, there's a lot to hollow moon theory. And I believe in this documentary, George was saying how, you know, his disappointment that the moon wasn't made of green cheese and it wasn't hollow with the, you know, ancient civilizations. But if you look into this this crackpot theory about lizard people and hollow earth, it all connects together and hollow moon theory is part of it. And even uh, the reptilians being creatures that came from, that we used to have two moons and in the ancient fight between the Valyrians and the Atlantans, one of them caused the other, I think it was the Atlantans, broke open the moon and caused the, what, something to rain down and to basically sink Lemuria. I, I could have this, this backwards, but it, it was one of the two races and they broke open the moon and, you know, still other parts will talk about dragons coming from the moon. It's all in there. And speaking of Lemuria, the, the lost continent of Lemuria, its original title came from uh, the scientist who was talking about this species of lemur that didn't seem to grow in any other place that uh, that there were no other places nearby for this species of lemur to have come from. I believe you found like giant lemurs around the area of uh, Madagascar. And he explained it by saying that, you know, part of the continent must have sunk into the ocean, the Indian Ocean, I think. But um, we know now that it's due to continental drift. They didn't know that back then. But uh, George is this George is God of this world, and he makes the world that he wants to see, that fascinated him as a child. This is his love letter to everything that he's grown up loving, be it history or comic books or Dungeons and Dragons and everything. And he's put it into this really well-grounded, seemingly real environment that is ironically just full of fantastical, crazy stuff. Like... The, it, but it's so, he's done such a great job of making it seem grounded and real that we just buy into it and we don't even question it. So what, what I'm basically getting into saying, what I'm saying in a roundabout way, oh wait, okay, back to the lemurs first of all, because I just listened to uh, a chapter of Game of Thrones, the book, and this Daenerys chapter, it's the one where she's riding around and she's really starting to get used to riding and she's becoming more of a Khaleesi and she's not like not going to let her brother get in her way, all that stuff. Anyway, she's talking about seeing all the different grasses and seeing, you know, riding in the front of the Kalazar so she can see and it's not covered in dust and she's actually just enjoying the ride and she talks about how they came into these woods and they saw this... Uh, you know, she said she saw a spotted tiger, and then she saw and she saw these lemurs with great silver fur and huge purple eyes. 
lemurs, silver fur, purple eyes. How does it connect exactly? I don't know. Maybe these are the ancient ancestors of Valyrians who crawled into underground tunnels and and evolved separately or something like that. That wouldn't really work, you know, from a scientific perspective that they evolved into humans separately from others. Convergent evolution, I think that's called, but it doesn't usually happen on that meticulous of a scale. But it doesn't matter because this is George's world and science is takes a back seat here. But there is still some science to it. Anyway, so now that I've finally gotten the thing of the lemurs out of the way, um, Lemuria. Oh, yeah, and since I was mentioning Nazis, Targaryens, Targaryen, their, what are their colors? Red and black. And, uh, okay, yeah, there might have been some Nazis that were, that thought they were doing the right thing. Probably like uh, Daenerys thinks she's doing the right thing. I don't want to bog this down in those politics because people get mad when I talk about Mad Queen stuff. I get a lot of down votes on Reddit anytime I bring that up in any of the subreddits. But, what I'm basically getting down to is that the the world of ice and fire exists within a concave hollow earth. And the reason why this is significant, going back to beyond the wall, there's the two complaints. In fact, the only the only issue that Duncan had with the episode, which was the only epi- the only issue that I had myself until I realized this, was that how did the raven travel that fast? How did the dragons travel that fast? Well, if you're inside of a concave dome, you're actually traveling to... It's quicker to travel by air because the two points on either part of the ground are closer together. You see? It's like a wrinkle in time, but a wrinkle in space. So, pretty neat, huh? Now, when... I watched Beyond the Wall having re- read about Hard Home and I'm re-watching the episode and seeing those flames coming up symbolically from the hearth, but they're also just like rising high above the wall, like the description of the destruction of Hard Home. It made me realize, holy shit, there is a lot more going on in this show than anybody realizes. There is all of this crazy stuff just hidden in plain sight, and this is why I am just totally tinfoil with this show, because I'm going to tell you right now, George R.R. Martin is a totally tinfoil conspiracy geek who gets all into this stuff, and he's created this world where all of his favorite tinfoil conspiracy mystery theories, they're all real, and he's created it so that everybody knows that that's not real, and the more... He, he's made it so that you can really never exactly prove something, but if you get... You, you, the, the evidence starts to pile up in a way that you can't deny it, and you can try to tell people who are only casually into the show about this stuff, and you will just sound like a tinfoil crackpot conspiracy nut, which I probably sound like to most of you right now. But I'm telling you! I'm telling you the gospel truth, brother! So now you know. But you had to see to know. And I saw. I saw it. Anyone who wants to complain about Benjamin X Machina, 
or Dragon Ex Machina, shut the front door. Because, let me tell you, you're, you're saying it wrong, first of all. You mean to say Deus Ex Benjen, Deus Ex Dragon. Because Deus Ex Machina is a term for, in the old Greek plays, when the writer couldn't really come up with a solution or ending. He, so they would just have this machine that basically was pulleys and ropes and harnesses to have somebody dressed as a god Mercury or somebody come down and deliver them and save them. All right. And it's seen, it's used to describe just like a cheap save that just kind of came out of nowhere that wasn't written into the plot. There's no precedent for it in the plot. It's sort of inconsistent, but it worked for the ancient Greeks because they believed that gods were very real and interventionists, which we know isn't true today. Most of us know that. But I do not know that that's not true within the realm of ice and fire. I think that the gods are in play, albeit in very subtle ways, that they will never overtly show a god coming out, but they will just stop the camera and just hold it on a flame for a little while. And I think that's significant. Going back, seeing other parts where there where there's fire involved. In season seven, when Daenerys is listening to Tyrion and hearing what he's saying and stepping into the light, basically. Like when Tyrion is trying to convince her to just let Jon harvest the dragon glass from underneath. He's standing in front of the fire, and as she's listening to him and coming over to his side, she's walking towards the fire and standing within the hearth talking to him, okay? And beyond the wall, they're sitting both under the fire and talking and having that little talk about heroes as she, her gaze is, keeps distractedly looking over at Storald's point. But then when Tyrion starts bringing up things that need to be talked about, like maybe you shouldn't be burning dudes and maybe you want to think about uh, stuff that basically varies, pressured him into talking to her about. And then she starts getting mad and she walks away from the fire and stands over by the window. And Okay, so in the episode Blackwater... Sansa tells Shay, Oh, Joffrey will come back. The bad ones always live. And then it pans over to show the fire and the braziers over on the pillar and stops and just lingers on the flame for a while. Almost as if, like, Lord of Light was like, You know what? You're right. Something needs to be done about that. Right before the scene where Bronn and the Hound get into their confrontation... The camera pauses on a torch that's on the wall. Then as Braun is sitting there with all of his comrades and singing the Reigns of Castamere, there is just this chorus of candles with huge flames just singing along with him. And it's like, yeah, he's the popular guy. He's got all the candles behind him. And then the Hound comes in and makes everything awkward. And he sits down, kicks the other Joffrey clones out of the seat, and... He's just got three candles behind him. So it's kind of like, hey, the Lord of Light may favor Bronn a little bit. And he's wielding the flaming arrow. I think anytime there's a fire in Game of Thrones, 
the Lord of Light can see through it the way that the old gods can see through a weirwood tree. Lord of Light is more powerful, okay? And he can see anytime, anything that's lit by fire, including sunlight, is within the purview of Lord of Light. That's my opinion. I know at least there is definitely a lot more going on with symbolism in Easter eggs. Uh, it's been pointed out by other people that there's a scene at uh, the wall at uh, Castle Black where John and Sam are in a room talking about sex as they tend to do early in the show. And John tells, tells Sam that, you know, he, you know, he saw a woman naked, but then he couldn't go through with it because, you know, he wonders about his own mother. And he doesn't say that he's worried that his mom might have been a prostitute and he might be fucking his own mother. But that's sort of implied in the subtext. But he's basically saying also he just doesn't want to leave any bastards because, you know, he hates being a bastard and he would never wish that upon somebody else. Anyway, the whole time they're having this conversation, they're standing in front of a pillar that has the letters R-L carved into it. This stuff is all over the place, and it's sort of hidden in plain sight. And some people notice some things, but there's still a ton going on that we haven't even noticed. I haven't even noticed it. I've been re-watching the shit out of this show. It's made it a lot more enjoyable since season seven, since that re revelation, but also just knowing that this place is going to a much happier place because did anybody really do rewatches before at least season six was over? Because, man... Who really wanted to just be like, oh, yeah, I want to go through all that again until, you know, up until the burning of Shireen, you're really just in for just a bunch of heartbreak. So, yeah, now going back and rewatching and I'm seeing just so many crazy things. It's unbelievable. The the concentric circles within the Dragonstone cave, one of them looks like, they, you know, they all look similar to the God's Eye. And then one of them has something that looks like there could have been a land bridge connecting. And, you know, that, all right, I, I'll go into all that crazy shit some other time. And I'm still figuring stuff out. I'm still seeing, like, way more stuff than I ever did before. And it's beyond belief. So, got myself worked up into a foaming lather. Maybe it's time for me to take a little break. Maybe I'm finished. I don't know. All right. Well, it felt good to get that off my chest. I hope I I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was informative, entertaining, and hopefully it wasn't too abrasive for some of you. Definitely definitely woke the dragon on that one. Um sorry if the transition of my little edits where I cut in and when I interject on myself God, I can't say anything that doesn't sound horrible. All right, yeah, I hope that I hope it wasn't too abrasive. Anyway, uh, a couple things that I forgot to mention. Um, if anybody wants to po try to poke holes in my hypothesis by saying, "Well, how could John have been resurrected if there was no one there praying for his resurrection?" Well, Lord of Light recognizes the Dragon Queen and her servants, as the Red Priestess points out when Tyrion is listening. She looks up at him as she says, and her servants. 
So people wanted to say that was a sign that perhaps he's a Targaryen. No, it's just a sign that the Lord of Light recognizes him as the Dragon Queen's servant, uh, which Jorah also is. And uh, everybody in Snowshin 7 who survives that is significant, well, Thoros doesn't survive, but yeah, who's not a red shirt, they're all recognized by the Lord of Light in some way. Tormund points out that he and the Hound are kissed by fire. Uh, Beric and Thoros are priests who are also kind of gingery too. But, uh, and they, you know, the Lord of Light has definitely listened to them on several occasions, so he recognizes them. Uh, he recognizes John. Did I leave anybody out? I don't think so. Um, well, yeah, Gendry's been used for blood magic, but he's not even there on the lake where the, the pivotal action stuff happens. Anyhow, uh, Lord of Light recognizes the Dragon Queen, and she's up on the wall praying for his return, basically. Or at least, you know, focusing all of her energy, her mental, her conscious energy into hoping he comes back. Maybe also hoping that her dragon comes back now that I think of it, which also happens, but I don't think it was the same god, although all gods are the same god. Ultimately, anyhow, yeah, and her servant, um, Tyrion, is standing up there watching Jamie, saying, go, run away, you idiot. So, yeah, I'm sure he's up there hoping that he survives falling into the Mariana Trench, too. How does he know that Jamie is still alive to go talk to him? Okay, that, I don't know. <laughs> I just thought of that. Anyhow. Um, okay, uh, what, one more thing uh, that I, I find interesting is uh, if you read in the, uh, the history of the Valyrians in the World of Ice and Fire book, the, um, it mentions that the Valyrians had no kings or rulers, although... Sometimes they would democratically appoint something they called an archon. Now this is interesting because the the proposal that Tyrion is trying to make to Queen Daenerys is basically he's trying to say, hey, democracy, voting. Well, it turns out that that is actually a tradition of Old Valyria. Pretty cool. The other thing, though, is that uh, people who believe in this, the reptilians, the the actual creatures that came from the hollow moon or something like that, who have are trying to interbreed with humans, and are these actually twenty foot fire breathing reptiles called archons? So pretty nifty, I think so at least. Back to what I was saying. Anyway, just thought I, I just felt the need to share that stuff because whew, I listened to so many podcasts waiting for some person to get it. And I looked it up on YouTube and read it and nobody else has seen this thing about the prince that was promised being fulfilled in Beyond the Wall. And people, one of the complaints was that Man, we just didn't get any big revelations this season. Like, you know, yeah, okay, there was the John's true lineage thing, but we already knew that. Most of us, book readers at least, were 
pretty aware of the whole R plus L equals J. Now they've just spelled it out so that everybody knows. But there wasn't any big intrigue that got people being like pumped and being like, oh man. Well, there was. You guys just hadn't figured it out. But now you know. Pretty cool, huh? I got to give it to you, Sir Patrick. Really fucking cool. I had no idea that this, that John may have been reborn amidst salt and smoke beneath the bleeding star and woke dragons from stone all in this one episode. Uh, fucking great job, dude. Thanks so much for pointing this out to us. I know that uh, I get excited when I talk about this stuff and I sort of bypassed the point that I was trying to make. I went back yesterday and tried to uh, interject on myself and uh, started getting really disjointed and uh, maybe it's a happy accident that I didn't save that version of it so that got destroyed but uh, so I just wanted to make myself perfectly clear oh look there goes a fox that's pretty cool I drive around at the wee hours of morning delivering papers, and I see foxes, and I like it. You and me both, brother. Well, not driving the, around in the morning delivering papers, but loving foxes. Anyhow, um, yeah, so in case I wasn't being uh, perfectly clear, I just want to uh, make some corrections. Okay, first of all, I started talking about uh, the lost continent of Lemuria, and... Uh, the sunken continent of Atlantis and it, the connection to uh, ancient Valyria. I believe that uh, the other connection you could make would be the Giscari. So Atlantis versus Valyria is the analog of... God, I keep doing it. Okay, Atlantis versus Lemuria. <laughs> okay. I also believe I said the Atlantans instead of the Atlanteans, so I'm not trying to insinuate that the ancient Valyrians fought the members of Outcast or anything. They never went to war with 50 Cent or Cartoon Network or anything. They never had the great Coca-Cola Wars. It wasn't Atlanta. It was Atlantis they were fighting. All right. So, yeah, I think I said something like... Um, Atlantis versus Valyria. I meant Atlantis versus Lemuria. So if that was confusing, I apologize. I should go back and correct it, but I'm just going to correct it at the end. Hopefully you, it didn't throw you off too badly. Okay, so just to be clear, uh, the mountain shaped like an arrowhead is definitely a volcano. My evidence, my main point of evidence being that it looks like a fucking volcano. But also... The mysterious flames that destroyed Hardhome. I believe Beyond the Wall kind of connects those two. And if I wasn't being perfectly clear about it, the confirmation, I believe, Easter egg, is at the opening scene of the painted table where you actually see giant flames rising above the wall the hearth behind the painted table. I don't mean to browbeat you with this stuff. I just want to I just want to make sure everybody gets it. Another point that I want to 
be sure that I'm clear on here is the, yeah, the Giscari versus the Valerians is analogous to the uh, crackpot theories about the lost continents of Lemuria and Atlantis, and there's this belief of these 20-foot fire-breathing reptiles that are trying to infiltrate us by interbreeding, and some people say that they came from a hollow moon, a second hollow moon, or the current hollow moon. Lots of different stories. And uh, I believe it was, they believe the Atlanteans destroyed the second moon in order to sink Lemuria. And some people believe that these fire-breathing reptoids or dragons or anything like that came from uh, volcanic tubes that lead to the hollow center of the earth. And there's definitely a parallel there with uh, ancient Valyria being on a volcano. The 14 flames. Some people believe that the dragons came from the second moon. Some people believe they sprung forth from the 14 flames. I heard somebody postulating on Reddit also that maybe the Giscari introduced wyverns to ancient Valyria and that the Valyrians infused them with their magic to cause them to breathe fire, turning them into dragons. I don't know, but... Okay, wait, yeah, all right, I am interjecting on myself again. Okay, so I have uh, found out since having recorded this that uh, I don't think it was the Giscar, because that doesn't really make sense because they were at war. I think it was the Ashai. It was somebody. Anyway, they introduced um, the Wyverns to the Valyrians who lived, you know, in volcanoes, and there were these, these fireworms that I'm going to be, I think I talk about a little bit later here, I don't know, it's been a week since I recorded that last stuff, I was going to have that be the final, no matter what, but it, it just creeps up on me, just all these things that I didn't say, and things that I learned since I recorded it, I'm constantly evolving my uh, schematics for this, uh, but anyway, yeah, so the Valyrians use their magic to fuse two creatures together is the the prevailing theory among the the bookworms. Are they fire bookworms? I don't know. Um, yeah, I think that's neat. But also, there there was one thing that I didn't mention that I thought it, it, it's very it's tertiary sort of to the points I was making, but, um, I think it was the, the Coffee Clatch podcast, which is one of the better, uh, Game of Thrones podcast. It's not as good as Game of Microphones, but it's almost as good. Anyway, um, the, there was mention about the evolution of, or the, you know, the, the symbolism of Danny's outfits throughout season seven, how she starts off in the first episode, Dragonstone, and she's wearing the traditional black and red Targaryen colors. And then as her arc with the King of the North develops, her 
the colors she wears are getting lighter and turning more into like that stark gray color like symbolically like she you know he's winning her over um but they were they were speculating and wondering you know what's the symbolism of that swirling white and gray dress that fur dress that she wears to go north of the wall and i wouldn't have thought of that if it hadn't been speculated upon but i immediately knew the answer because the after hard home was destroyed in the lore is saying that uh for for a long time afterwards the air was white and gray with swirls of snow flakes and um ashes and that's also the description of uh danny's vision in the house of the undying i believe where she's in the throne room but before she can touch the throne and she talks about how the there's swirling white and gray snowflakes and ashes in the air tip your mail carriers okay so i think i've got some more stuff to interject upon myself but i want to just save them for the very 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 end and i'm going to say okay one more thing a few more times before this is over so just stay tuned yeah okay so I mentioned the double entendre behind of beyond the wall just so everybody knows double entendre doesn't mean necessarily that I'm making a coy sex joke or something like that uh, double entendre just means I think double intention it doesn't have to be sexual using turn we we turn we turn words and phrases into sexual euphemisms and then they start to actually just mean that like can you, you you can have relations with somebody without it being sexual you can have intercourse without it being sexual intercourse so okay but yeah the so the part of hard home that you're seeing in beyond the wall is actually beyond the wall that you see in the episode entitled hard home get it also um something cool is that uh the in the the tale of hard home people talk about wow that's a big fox oh wait maybe it's a deer okay so anyway the there are now caves in the, those cliffs that all the the whites fell off of uh, there's supposed to be these cliffs with mysterious wailing sounds coming from them at night you know people off the shore and strange hissing sounds which actually does happen oh that's definitely a deer yeah that so the mysterious hissing sounds that happens in the uh, volcanic lava tubes that are uh, in real life I, I saw a really cool video on YouTube where somebody was talking about how hard home might have been destroyed by a volcano that was something I found uh, while trying to search for somebody else that had figured out that beyond the wall happened the frozen lake battle was actually a frozen inlet by the way salt water doesn't freeze as fast so that answers another complaint anyway yeah there's so much to it <laughs> okay so yeah but um 
there are actually fireworms in the world of ice and fire. I hope that Maester What's-His-Fuck's Unnatural History gets published so we can read all about the cool creatures in this world. Yeah, Septon Barth's Unnatural History. That would be cool. He is the man. He predicts everything. He's right about pretty much everything. At some point, but yeah. Uh, fireworms do this hissing sound. And, uh, yeah. So, if anybody uh, can think of a cool tagline for me to, to sign off with, or if you never want me to do one of these again, you know, respectfully, screw you. But no, yeah. If you hated this, I want to know. If you loved it, I want to know. And uh, if you're ambivalent towards it, I don't really care if you let me know or not. So yeah. By the way, this has been Sir Patrick. Never introduced myself. I believe I need no introduction. Just kidding. Yeah, I I'd like to go out with a bang, but I'm just gonna fizzle out like the 14 flames did not do. Alright. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we saw a battle in the neck with lizard lions and whites and frog spear lances and shit like that in season 8? That'd be pretty awesome. Wouldn't it be cool if Arya and the Hound go to fight, to go to kill the mountain and Cersei and then the mountain's protecting Cersei and he like, he kills the Hound, well the He's killing Arya by trying to, like, crush her head, but as he's, like, gouging her eyeballs out, the Hound jumps in and saves her, but gets killed. But then she kills the Mountain, and but she can't kill Cersei because, because other things happen. But then, you know, she's blind, but she's better at fighting while she's blind anyway. But then Nymeria has to take her back to Winterfell, and she's riding Nymeria with, like, blood streaming out of her eye sockets, and she passes right by the Cranog, the place where Howland... Reed is with fucking Mira and and fucking Lady Stoneheart's been there the whole time where Howland's been explaining it to her and then like the last stand happens to happen on the God's Eye which is where the the last stand happened during the last long night and because um, fucking the uh, the water around the God's Eye it it turns in the winter it turns like a pewter color like cold iron which the white the walkers don't like and um yeah but then the 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 night king takes up it um he he sets up shop at heron hall and because that's like right across from the god's eye and fucking he walks through and he just suddenly turns his head and reaches out into thin air and grabs the ghost of King Harrenhor and he fizzles into fucking green smoke and disappears screaming and fucking I don't know ah, it may be cool I want to see lots of cool shit oh what if Euron brings out fucking dragon binder and actually summons a sea dragon to pull Aegon the Conqueror, who turns out to be our Aegon, which is actually John, out of the sky, because he's riding fucking Rhaegal, and fucking... I don't know. <laughs> Alright, so maybe that was enough of a bang to end on.
So this is Sir Patrick saying something something, insert sign off line here. No, 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 okay, one more thing, uh, in case I gave the impression that I don't believe in any sort of divine intervention in real life, that if I'm trying to give, if it sounded like I'm giving the impression that I'm some sort of atheist, I'm agnostic, and not in that polite way of saying I'm agnostic, as in not wanting to offend people who do believe, I really am, I just don't know, but, um, sometimes I noticed strange synchronicities in real life which sort of comes into play in the show as well in the book but he here's one apparently the most uh recent episode of game of microphones that will probably be re be released before this uh in that one they read an article about beyond the wall and refute it that was not planned. It's pure synchronicity. And maybe it was the Lord of Light. That was really bizarre that we went on a big tangent and read that article about Beyond the Wall, and then you sent this big message talking so much about that, too. Really funny. Ooh, I don't know. But um, raise your children well, and think... <laughs> think globally, act locally. I don't know. Um, Was that a biodome reference? Awesome. Be excellent to each other. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. One more thing. One more. Last one. Another example of seemingly divine synchronicity is that uh, the episode that introduced the term stop your whinging is the episode that so many people fucking whinged about. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is pretty funny. How about this? Kit Harrington had to lie to the world and say that he wasn't on the show anymore, that his character was dead, and he came on talk shows and they gave him lie detector tests and he used all his acting abilities to try to be all like... Yeah, no, I'm dead. I'm not on the show anymore. I don't know what happens. And he cut his hair. And it was like, kind of like proof. Like, oh yes, he, he doesn't even have that Jon Snow haircut. But his name sounds like Cut Harrington. Ooh, spooky. Also, did you know that his great-grandfather invented the toilet? His great-grandfather, John Harrington. His, his name in the show is John and his great-grandfather invented the John, and... It's also disputed that it may have been Thomas Crapper. His name was John. And Peter Dinklage. How are you going to have a dwarf named Peter Dinklage? That's the most... That's like a silly name, but it's also dignified. And it just fits so well with Tyrion's character. Isn't that crazy? Fucking, um... Don't throw cigarette butts on the highway, because that's gross. Okay. <laughs> Agreed. Um, adopt, don't buy new pets. Oh. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> okay, I'm done. We all get your point, but don't you think you're overdoing it? You have to overdo it in today's society, Stan. You can't be nuanced and subtle anymore, or else critics go, Wow, what was the point of that? Yeah, just kidding. No, okay, this is really going to be the very last thing I say.
Um, I just, I've got time before Dunk's going to be able to work his magic and get this released anyway. So I'm just going to really clear up a couple things that I may not have been completely clear about. Okay, first of all, uh, before you write in to correct me, yes, I'm aware that Beric is not actually a priest. I said Beric and Thorist are both priests, but okay, no, they're both Jedis, all right? It doesn't contradict my point anyway. Um, Deus ex machina actually means God in the machine, so if you're saying Benjen ex machina, you're saying Benjen in the machine. Technically, it means God from the machine, ex meaning out from. So in the old Roman plays, the machine would deliver the God, so it's the God from the machine. And the reason it was seen as a cheap kind of writer's trick in the ancient Greco-Roman times from which the term is derived is because it's just, it's suddenly, it's the equivalent of just making it so that everything was a dream and they wake up or something like that, you know, and then they just found the magical genie in the bottle that made everything better and it cheapens the whole writing process. And if you're criticizing Beyond the Wall using those terms, or any episode for that matter, you're really doing it a disservice because, first of all, you're grammatically incorrect. It's deus ex benjen, deus ex dragon. But you're, it, it means God is working through benjen and through the dragons, and precedent for this has been set up. But also, it's not breaking the it's not breaking the the tone of the show because you're not just literally seeing the Lord of Light step out and say, hey guys, let me just clean up this mess. It's subtle. And, uh, yeah, subtlety is lost on critics often. And then it becomes groupthink and everybody wants to sound smarter than the showrunners, so they start criticizing it to make themselves sound more important. Yeah. Um, and now I know there was one other thing, and maybe I'll think of it before I end this, but uh, while, while I'm talking here, let me just say, go over to, to audible.com slash G-O-M, G-O-M for Game of Microphones, sign up for a free subscription using the uh, promo code, or it's not a promo code, it's just you go there, it's that URL, and you can get yourself a free audiobook. And then anybody can send you a free audiobook as long as they haven't done that before. So ask Duncan for the second book in the series and then get the third book in your as your free audiobook or vice versa. Then then message me, ask me for the first book and give me the second or third book. And you know, or if you've already got the first book, whatever. You know, get get the Dunkin' Egg novel, or get the fifth... Is there a fifth book? I don't even know. Um, I've also got The World of Ice and Fire. If for some reason you don't have the first book. And maybe we can just work this out so that everybody who listens to this and signs up for Audible never has to pay for a Game of Thrones book. But then I'm sure we'll all keep using Audible, so everybody wins. And wouldn't that be great? And no... I have not seemed to have thought of the other thing, and there's always just something that I forgot to say. And I wish there was somebody here to just ask me 
like, hey, what about this? And then I could immediately be like, yeah, that. But I don't have a co-host. But maybe I'll work on that. Um, oh, yeah, hey, did, did I mention um, all that about Cyrus Reed in relation to, you know, there's a character named Howland Reed. There's a whole family of Reeds, and they're connected to the children of the others and the God's Eye and all that lovely stuff. And maybe that was, was just so overt I didn't have to say it, but maybe, you never know. There's so much going on all the time that you never know. I keep picking up on new and new, more and more stuff, even as I'm just listening to the most current episode. They're halfway through talking about Beyond the Wall, and I love everything that Kristen and Duncan say, even when Kristen pisses me off by saying things I completely disagree with. It's still amazing, and it just fuels the fires, and it gets me thinking more and helps enhance my experience. That's so cool. Yeah, I've really come to embrace disagreement as a concept, um, as, as a method of furthering intellectual development so yeah, it's really important to, have, to further open dialogue and disagree because it gets you places. You, f- you figure out things by disagreeing and then using that to figure out the, uh, the right solution. Especially with Game of Thrones too, where everything is, or so much is subjective and so there, you know, there's so much theorizing and so little that's definitive. Kristen definitely sees a lot of body language that I don't, that I don't necessarily pick up on at first and gives me cause to think and then I come up with even more intrigue and in-depth understanding. Even though I'm interpreting what she's found in different ways than her, usually. Anyway, I guess that's all. Oh, by the way, uh, in the latest episode, they're talking about how silently Cersei moves, or Kristen noticed that. And I think that's foreshadowing... Robert Bobby B. Baratheon in the book, which I'm listening to, thanks to going to G-O-M, <laughs> audible.com slash G-O-M and getting my free audiobook. Uh, I heard in, yeah, Bobby B. in early chapters, everything he says is just unwittingly ironic or foreshadowing. Like, he has no idea that he's saying these most profound things, but almost everything he says is like that. A lot of people... A lot of things that a lot of people say in the early chapters, especially probably all throughout. But anyway, yeah, there's just layers of meaning and it's pretty crazy. Anyway, one of the things that Bobby B says is the others take my wife. Now, in the Valencar prophecy, it talks about her pale white throat. Now, Tywin forbade her from praying to the seven but she spent a lot of time focusing on her mother's rotting corpse and then thinking about her daughter's rotting corpse, making sure that there that she didn't leave one, and then she condemns Elia Martel to watch her own daughter rotting, and she stares deep into the abyss of the eyes of that white that they bring to King's Landing. And what I'm basically getting at is the same way that Arya is unwittingly praying to the many-faced god before she even knows what the many-faced god is, I wonder if Cersei is unwittingly sort of praying to the great other. And I think 
I'm pretty sure it just seems so deliciously plausible that maybe the Night King will transform Cersei into a White Walker in Season 8, and won't that be pretty damn spiffy? Love this theory. I think we may have mentioned um, speculating that Cersei may join with the White Walkers somehow, so this would definitely be a method to make that possible. He could fly down to King's Landing on the back of Viserion, land at the Red Keep. She could walk out and kneel, and he could just tap her right between the eyes and the third eye and woo, turn her into a fucking White Walker. How epic. All right. Um, hug your loved ones. Count your blessings. Um, the night is dark and full of terrors. All men must die. Probably all women, too. Won't get into that, but come on. Valor Morghulis, you, you think that, that that particular Valyrian term only applies to men? Because what, women don't have to die, too? Especially considering all the gender-neutral nouns that we do have in Valyrian like that for dragon. Missandei knows it. She smiles. She knows something's up. She just lets Daenerys believe that she's so good at old Valyrian, but then... Oh yeah, I forgot to mention there's certain gender-fluid terms all the way up in Season 7. Never know. You just never know. And Kristen said something about how good and what a great friend Missandei is, and I wish she hadn't said that because I got this empty feeling in the pit of my stomach like fucking Lucy's gonna pull the football out from under Charlie Brown now. <laughs> you had to say it. You just had to say it. And now I just don't feel easy about trusting Missandei, and that sucks. Well, but she looks more trustable than Varys. Just, I don't know, if, if you really watch Varys through the lens of maybe this guy isn't so good as we think, if you're just looking for it, you see it. I don't necessarily see it when I look at Missandei, but I also just can't take anything at face value. Ever. But yeah, I love this podcast. This, these are my people. And you all are my people too. Keep an eye for, out for, for Raven's calls like in the show, by the way, because I have a theory and I want to keep, keep track of anytime somebody says something and then you immediately hear a ah! I wonder if that means that it's a lie. Because two times I've noticed it in particular are when Tyrion promises Lothar or whoever of the goat people that he will give them the veil, you immediately hear a crow call as Lothar, or whatever his name is, looks up towards it. And the other time I notice it is when the Three-Eyed Raven tells Bran that the ink is dry. Ah! And then don't forget the old man says all crows are liars. So are they... Are these crows saying, yeah, they understand human speech and even speak in the books. So, liar. Yeah, I'm just throwing <laughs> all these things out there while I still have the breath. But I got plenty more stuff to talk about, and maybe I'll do so in a much more organized format next time. Uh, just uh, keep your eyes peeled, my minions. There is always more layers of intrigue within the show. Just layers upon layers upon layers upon layers. Outro music. I don't know. Alright. Peace. Okay, no, but for real, guys, this is really the last point. 
the Gendry running back so quickly, uh, Storold's point really isn't that far away from Eastwatch. Yes, it was a sort of a Herculean feat, but consider the parallel of that uh, legendary uh, first marathon run where we get the run of marathon from. Yeah, enough said. Now, uh, if I... If and when I do another one of these, I will definitely outline the whole thing so it flows instead of me having to constantly um, add addenda to what I said. My I got a fortune cookie uh, today that told me to do something like that. So, yeah. This is the first time I've ever been on a podcast, and it's exciting to me. And I've been trying to do my own mini-sode for a while, and it just keeps sucking, but... I hope you liked this one. Please give me plenty of feedback on Facebook. Tell me what I could have done better. Tell me what you liked about it, if anything at all. Thank you, and drive safely. Since it's had time to gel in my mind, I just thought I'd mention a couple things. First of all, the parallel for the Atlanteans is going to be the Roinar. They were a river people. They practiced water magic, and they were this ancient competitor with Valyria, who ultimately lost, except for probably Varys, as I'm coming to realize. Even though Varys probably doesn't realize it. Anyway, there was one other thing that I wanted to to bring up. I believe it was the podcast, um, the Coffee Clatch crew or whatever. They they mentioned about uh, in Beyond the Wall, talking about how they've noticed from in season seven, in the first episode. Daenerys is wearing traditional Targaryen colors, black and red. Nazi. But as the season progresses and she becomes more sympathetic with Jon, the colors start to lighten up to more of a stark gray, symbolically. And they're wondering what her outfit in Beyond the Wall represents. And I just thought I'd share this because I know, I know. The gray and white swirls. That refers to her vision in the House of the Undying, where she's in the throne room about to touch the throne, and she's surrounded by falling snow and ash in white and gray swirls. Uh, But then as she's about to touch the throne, she's pulled away from it, and she sees the gate opening up at the wall into the Northlands, beyond the wall. But also, in the Hardhome history, after Hardhome was destroyed... It was for, I believe, years afterwards, there was snow and ash. There was this white and gray swirl of snow and ash. So it's sort of a, um, it indicates that there is actually, it indicates that it's at hard home. I mean, what more do you want? And it's also just cool. So I thought I'd throw that in there. And uh, yeah, I am working on finishing my own review of episode four of season three i think and they've already put out two more episodes since they did that one so i cannot keep up with these people but anyway until then i'll see you in the rear view you like that one i think i'm gonna go with it word And a huge thank you to Sir Patrick for sending us this big, awesome uh, episode for you guys to all listen to. I had a real good time listening to it. I thought there was lots of really, really cool stuff in there. Lots of gems and observations and various parallels that I'd never heard before to history and modern, you know, theories and stuff like that. So 
I thought it was really, really cool. Um, hope you guys enjoyed listening to that as much as I did. Apologize for the some of the rough cuts there. I didn't have time to do a lot of a lot of editing on it just because I've been so busy this past week. But uh, I yeah, I thought it was really fun. As always, you guys know where to reach us. You can call us at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. You can always write us at game at podcastica.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash G-O-M podcast. Imp slap! (laughs) We're also on Twitter and Instagram at G-O-M podcast. Give us a like on Facebook and an iTunes rating and review if you have time. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, definitely, always, be sure to check out the other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Walking Deadcast is in full swing right now, so definitely check that out, because it's a good season. And of course, another big thank you to Sir Patrick of The Hindsight. been great to uh, have you fill in for us this week. Really appreciate that you did took the time to do this for us um, on our week off. So thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, yeah. We'll see you guys next week for our next episode. Season 3, Episode 7, The Bear and the Maiden Fair. Give it a watch. Send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on air. You know it. I hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, first installment of our Rider in the Night bonus episodes. And uh, who knows, maybe someday you will be featured on our podcast. You know, one time somebody gave me a shot and let me do an episode, which I called Still Smug, and here I am today. So so if I hear that, you know, someone else has really good feedback that I think is worth sharing, I, I want to do that. I want to get your, your guys' voices out there. Definitely write in to us on our weekly episodes. I really do love sharing your thoughts with everybody. So thanks again, guys. Love you guys. Hope you have a great week. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. One more point. Final, last one. I think. I hope. Doing my last papers. I hope you like these crinkling noises. I think they're kind of neat. When I hear them back on the recording. So, yeah. It's like ASMR. It's just like a complete bonus. Where you just get to hear these like soothing, crinkling, building sounds. Hold on. I got to put this paper in this douchebag's mailbox. Yeah, you're a douchebag because you make me stop instead of throwing it on your driveway. Rolling down the windows, throwing out my last few papers. I apologize, by the way, if you're a person who has the paper delivered to their mailbox. That might actually even be easier for your paper carrier. Just, you know, consider them. If you're leaving specific instructions, maybe you want a tip on holidays. I don't know. Definitely tip your mail guys, your paper guys. Try to get their phone number and call them if you didn't get your paper so that it doesn't, instead of complaining to the newspaper and getting them fined, possibly fired. So yeah, anyhow. Okay, wait, uh, yeah, um, all right, I am interjecting.
on myself again. I'm just going to interject all over my face and chest right now. That's disgusting. Oh my goodness. Keep listening though. <laughs> it's worth... It's worth the disgust to hear what I got to say. Uh, you know, you, you watch Game of Thrones, all right? You, you've seen some horrible shit, and I think we'll all agree that it's been worth it. Introduce me to all your friends. No, do not. I don't really care. Um, okay, so it's been a few weeks. Dunk, like Grim, is taking his time, getting it all sorted out, even though it's mostly done busy studying the words of better men so i'm just kidding buddy you know focus on school it's important now cue the outro music and i'm done <laughs>